You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi, I'm Annie from the US. And I'm Johanna from Austria, and you're listening to your favorite international podcast. We are two online friends from two continents who never met in real life and who decided that it would be great fun, great fun and no work at all (laughs) to host a podcast together. (laughs) So here we are, we meet once a week to talk about all things that we find interesting, which is mostly murder, mystery and the macabre and history. We love to find obscure cases from all over the world, mostly the US, Germany and Austria. We love old-timey newspaper articles that we love to quote to you. And we love to tell you, our listeners, all there is to know about that. Yeah, that's right. You are the main reason that we keep doing this. Truly, sincerely. All your messages, all of your support, the fact that you vote for us in things. You have no idea how much it means to us to get that kind of feedback. We're so grateful. And it's not only us who share a lot of our thoughts and a bit of our life with you. It's also you who shares things with us, including wedding photos. And that's why we want to send a very special congratulations to Julie Ann. She, Yay, congratulations! I know, she and her husband are the most lovely couple. We wish you many, many, many years of happiness. And she was married in her Fresh Hell sweatshirt, which... I just love that. I really do. Yeah. Congratulations, (laughs) Julianne. And she also told me when I messaged her, because I haven't mailed it yet, I will. (laughs) I picked out her a card for them that I have to put in the mail. But she was like, oh, yeah, and my sweatshirt's all ripped and I need a new one. So I'm like, oh, okay. So to celebrate Valentine's Day, we put a code out that you can use in our merch shop for 10% off. And that is all caps, bloody Valentine. All one word. Yes. So Valentine's Day, you know, if you want to get the one you love, a Fresh Hell sweatshirt that you might one day marry them in, go check out our merch. Oh, and to find that, you will be able to go to our website, uh, freshhellpodcast.com. There's links. And we'll get into all of that at the end of the show, because now we have we have more important stuff to get to. Last week, we talked about the history of the Belitz Heilstätten, a sanatorium outside of Berlin that was used to treat tuberculosis patients. Uh, We talked about when and why it was built. We talked about the two world wars, that during World War I, Hitler had been a patient at Belitz. Uh, He was there to recover from a leg wound caused by a grenade. And how after the Second World War and the dividing of Germany into two separate states, Belitz had been used by the Soviet army as the biggest Soviet military hospital outside of the USSR. Then, in 1994, the Red Army left and Belitz was abandoned. And that's where we left off last week. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, you can pause now and go to episode 183 to listen to that one first, or you stay and decide that this little recap was enough of background info for you. Because today, we will be talking about a lot of stuff. We will be talking about the stuff we're all here for, the alleged haunting, ghost hunters, and a serial killer. This place has everything. It's... It it really has. It really does. It really does. Yes. In this episode, we'll be touching on genocide, 
the violent death of an infant, rape, uh, sexual assault, and murder, as I said before. So just a little content note here for you to be prepared. As I said last week, after the Soviet army left, an investor bought the plot and wanted to transform it, I think into residential buildings, but the cost for the project was immense and the investor couldn't go through with it and so everything got fenced in and the buildings were left to their own device. Of course, fences can't keep anyone out for long, especially when it's such a huge lot, buildings surrounded by nature. All different kinds of people started to trespass. There were thieves who ripped out anything they could use or sell, you know, like pipes or copper wiring. Yeah. There were unhoused people who came who just needed a roof for a few days. There were youngsters who wanted to party in an isolated location, uh, photographers who were interested in lost places, and of course ghost hunters. But we'll talk about them in a little while. Some of those illegal visitors had no respect for the place. They vandalized the Heilstetten buildings. They were smashing in windows. They were spraying paint on the wall, hammering holes into the walls. Uh, we all know the fate of abandoned buildings. Yeah, I hate that kind of vandalism. I have no problem with all the various forms of trespassing that you just mentioned, but the vandalism is not I cool. don't understand it. Why? You uh, know? Yeah, I think people have a lot of, like, anger inside. And while it's better to take it out on an inanimate object than a person, you know, maybe take up running or... Running, meditation. Yeah. Clean my house. Just go into nature or, you know, make fist with your toes. Yeah, this kind on of the carpet. Help. Something, just something more productive. Don't vandalize things. All right. So let's, if you vandalize, take it out on an ugly building, maybe. Right? At least. Please. Concrete 50s, like, brutalism. Brutalism. Bye -bye. I was thinking brutalism. Right? <laughs> it's the worst. So brutal. Okay. Okay. So as I said, we will circle back to that in a bit. Let's talk about the rumors that surrounded or are still surrounding Beelitz first. When I decided that I wanted to talk about Beelitz, I asked Annie, what is it with these sanatoriums and hauntings? Because there are so many similar places all over the world, right? And I think that buildings absolutely can have a certain energy, a certain feeling to them. And hospitals, sanatoriums, asylums are often places that have a very sad and or negative energy. Mm. Many people were sick, they suffered, they were scared. Let's face it, many people died, no matter how well they were treated. And I have no evidence that patients were treated badly at Bill. It's quite the contrary, actually. From all I could find, uh, they were treated quite well there. Sure. Now, remember how I told you about the Belitz-Hitler connection? Mm. So he was there as a patient for two months uh, in 1916. Yeah. That was enough to make people rumor that Belitz had been used by Nazis during the Third Reich for their sinister plans, either to experiment on people and or for euthanasia. Mm. And I use quotation marks like air quotes here, because it's definitely not euthanasia what happened in those years. It, it was the murder of mentally and physically challenged people all those people that the NSDAP called unworthy. And it happened a lot in many hospitals in Austria, in Germany, and uh, later also, of course, in the occupied countries. The Holocaust Encyclopedia says, quote, The euthanasia program was the systematic murder of institutionalized patients with disabilities in Germany. It predated the genocide of European Jewry, the Holocaust, by approximately two years. The program was one of many radical eugenic measures which aimed to restore the racial, 
quote-unquote integrity of the German nation. It aims to eliminate what eugenicists and their supporters considered, quote, life unworthy of life, end quote. Those individuals who they believed, because of severe psychiatric, neurological or physical disabilities, represented both a genetic and a financial burden on German society and the state. Beginning in October 1939, public health authorities began to encourage parents of children with disabilities to admit their young children to one of a number of specially designated pediatric clinics throughout Germany and Austria. In reality, the clinics were children's killing wards. There, specially recruited medical staff murdered their young charges by lethal overdoses of medication or by starvation. Hmm. At first, medical professionals and clinic administrators included only infants and toddlers in the operation. As the scope of the measure widened, they included youth up to 17 years of age. Conservative estimates suggest that at least 10,000 physically and mentally disabled German children perished as a result of the child euthanasia program during the war years. End quote. It's just so far beyond. Do you know what's strange for me? Every time I hear about eugenics now, I think about Lindbergh. I always think about the Nick, but also <sighs> about Lindbergh. Yeah. I still need to watch that. It's beyond anything that can be comprehended by, by us, I think. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. And, and you just have such... Can you imagine being one of those parents and thinking that you've had this incredible gift where... There's been these special schools set up and they're residential and your child is going to have this great, fulfilling life where they'll be taken care of. And then, no, yeah. actually, like. And then you get the letter, oh, we're sorry, your child died of lung infection, for example. So did they just pretend? Yeah. Did they pretend yeah. that all the children? Oh, yeah. So, and soon it was not only children and teenagers who were murdered, but also adult patients with disabilities as well. It all happened under the codename Aktion T4, Action T4, T4 standing for the address Tiergartenstraße 4 in Berlin, where the office for organizing the mass murder of those patients were located. There are estimates that roughly 250,000 to 300,000 people fell victim to Aktion T4, and it's absolutely horrendous. If you want to know more about Action T4, we will add the link to our sources in our recording album. There are several good books. One I personally read and can recommend is The Origins of Nazi Genocide from Euthanasia to the Final Solution by Henry Friedländer. So that is quite good. But there is tons of information out there. And of course, with Beelitz being such an infamous sanatorium, this big complex close to Berlin and Berlin being the capital of Nazi Germany... And the fact that Adolf Hitler had spent two months there himself in 1916, of course, the idea that Aktion T4 took also place at the Belitz-Heilstätten is not too far-fetched, which obviously adds another layer to the sad history and the sad, creepy feeling of the place. But I have to debunk this rumor. There are absolutely no records whatsoever. There are no reports of survivors, no reports of medical personnel, no evidence. Uh, no documents, nothing, that patients were murdered in Belitz. And I'm convinced that we would have leased something. Uh, okay, yeah. Any yeah. clue. If it, if it had been declassified, there'd be something, even just a rumor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I think it's uh, Belitz was just really uh, for soldiers, for veterans during the war times. And that's that's why there might have been 
no such things right. going on. They needed every single hospital bed, didn't they? Yeah. So that's one of the myths of Beelitz out the window. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't more we need to discuss. So let's talk about the serial killer, the Beast of Beelitz. And I will not get into all the details of the case because it might be a whole episode further down the line. Maybe not because it's really a horrible case, very brutal. But here are the, the basic facts. So between October of 1989 and April of 1991, five women and one child were murdered by a serial killer that would be named the Beast of Belitz or the Pink Giant by the media in the course of the killing spree. The first victim was 51-year-old Edeltraut Nixdorf, who was murdered in her house on 24th of October 1989, where the assailant attacked her while she was planting tulips in her garden. She had tried to fight the attacker off using a rake, but she stood no chance and was later found with a fractured skull bludgeoned to death. The main suspect was, as in most cases is, Edeltraut's husband, who took his own life a few months later. On 24th of May 1990, 45-year-old Krista Naujoks disappeared. Her body was found the next day in a landfill where her murderer had disposed of her. She had been raped and strangled to death. The investigators found pink panties with her, which didn't belong to the victim, and that's how the pink giant as a nickname for the murderer was coined by the press. A giant because the witness reported a rather tall suspect, I think one uh one ninety meters. I I'm sorry I didn't convert it. That's okay. Six something. Over well over six feet. Witnesses report of a rather tall suspect they had seen near the crime scenes. One of the witnesses is fifty-eight year old Edith Weber. She's attacked at a landfill, she's hit over the head, then stepped, and the attacker leaves her for dead. They're in the landfill covered with rags. And she's actually found by two workers just in time to save her life. Jesus. Wow. On 13th of March 1991, 34-year-old Inge Fischer was on her way home from a friend. She was walking through a forest close to Belitz when she was attacked. The perpetrator had struck her down, kicked her in the face, and then raped her and stabbed her to death. And only 10 days later, the next murder occurred, this time a double murder. On 22nd of March 1991... 44-year-old Tamara Petrovskaya was taking a walk with her infant son, three-month-old Stanislav. Uh, she was the wife of a Russian head physician who worked at the Belitz-Heilstetten at the time, you know, as it was a Soviet military hospital. Mm -hmm. And so she's pushing the pram through the wooded area. When she encounters her murderer, she is strangled with a bra. She's raped after she, she was dead. Her infant son is smashed against a tree stump and dies from his wounds. Wow. This is... So these crimes are incredibly violent, very vicious. Mm -hmm. And is am I right that they're happening, at least most of them, in broad daylight? In broad daylight, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Also, really escalating, right? Yes. Yeah. Like we have 13th of... Well, what was the first one? 24 of May, no, the first one was October 1989, then we have 24th of May 1990, then 13th of March 1991, then 10 days later, Tamara Petrovskaya, which is the, the most brutal one, uh, because of the baby, obviously yeah. for me. Then, 6th of April 1991, two 12-year-old girls are the next victims. They are stabbed several times and survive. Wow. And then the last known victim, the same day, 6th of April 1991, 66-year-old Talita Bremer, she is strangled and also raped afterwards. 
the two girls who barely survived were able to give the police details about the attacker. Composite drawing is created and a reward is offered for any information leading to the perpetrator. And on 1st of August 1991, the police finally has a vital lead. I think it was two joggers who saw a very suspicious person behaving uh, suspiciously in an inappropriate way. And they, I think they held him and, and called for the police. And so they arrest 25-year-old Wolfgang Schmidt, who confesses to the murders and attacks during the interrogation. In November of 1992, Schmidt is sentenced to 15 years in prison. 15. One five. 15, yes. <sighs> okay. But, I have to say, with subsequent preventative custody in a psych ward, okay. I assume, or I hope, that there's absolutely no chance of ever being released. Let's hope. Yeah. Schmidt, yeah. to this day, is, is in prison. In 2001... Wolfgang Schmidt requests and is granted a name change to Beate Schmidt. I hope they're in prison for... It's incredibly violent. Yeah. yeah. Let's hope they never see outside of a institution of one f one sort of, of another, because yikes. And as I said, that's just the mere basic facts of the case. There, There's so much more. Yeah. Absolutely horrible, cruel, cruel murder series. We would need at least one whole episode of the murders. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm up to it. Honestly, it's very disturbing. Yeah, I understand how these women died. Yeah, but this is an episode about the Belitz Sanatorium. That's right. And four of the murders they take place close to the Belitz Heinstetten, three in a radius of 15 kilometers, which is 9.3 miles, and one obviously directly at the sanatorium's grounds, the one of Tatiana Petrovskaya, mm. thus naming Schmidt the Beast of Belitz. I always find this kind of name so counterproductive, the, the beast, the yeah. monster, the demon, it, the devil. It's like, it's uh, very, very horribly disturbed humans. Yes, it's, humans. It's, yeah. Unfortunately. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean, though, when you say, you know, don't use the word beast, don't use the term monster. Yeah, it is just a person. Let's not Let's not make these people seem like they're bigger than they are, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also don't make a mistake that these people don't look just like everybody else. That's that's the main thing. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing. It's not like you look at these people. I mean, maybe some. Some. Uh, Richard Ramirez, mm -hmm. for example. But most of them look like everyday neighbors. Yeah, you never know. Friends. You never know. In 2008, there was another murder that is connected with the Beelitz Sanatorium. It was via an online goth forum that the 20-year-old Anya P. P is the first letter of the last name. This is uh, one of these cases where German law uh, protects the identity of the victims and the murderer. I understand, yeah. So I just have the, the first names. That's why I'm referring to them by the first names. So Anya met the 37-year-old Michael F. He was a hobby photographer and she was a part-time model. And both were interested in lost places, historical buildings, kind of abandoned buildings, cemeteries, and also SM and bondage. Michael had photographed models on old cemeteries, for example, before. He definitely had a liking for kind of creepy and mysterious locations. Like we do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The two were communicating via messages, chats, and video calls for a couple of months, and they finally agreed to meet for a photo shoot and for possibly sex. They rented a vacation home at the Belitz Heilstätten, 
I read in at least two articles that it was the former gatekeeper's house at the sanatorium that they rented because they had like rental rental units there. Yeah. So they decide to meet on 26th of July 2008. Earlier that day, Anya had another photo shoot with a photographer and two other, I think, two other goth models at Belitz. And then Michael joined the group later on. And that was their first real life meeting. But the witnesses, the, the photographer and the models who were there later testified that the two appeared to be very close and intimate. They were like touching each other, mm. uh, holding hands. Anya was sitting on Michael's lap. These kind of things. Very not inappropriately touching, but you know, like they were really... They were intimate, like they knew each other. Well, they'd been messaging. They knew, like they were knew each other. Yeah, so I'm yeah. sure even though they just met, they felt like they sort of knew each other because, like, we've never met, but I feel like I know you. I gotta sit on your lap when you come over here. You can sit on my lap anytime you want. <laughs> <laughs> so later that day, they went to the rental where something happened, though, later that night or early next morning... Was it an accident, as Michael claimed later on, or was it way more sinister? According to Michael, Anya asked him to simulate or kind of roleplay an attack. She wanted him to hit her over the head with a frying pan, like simulating hitting her or gently hitting her on the head with a okay. frying pan. Yeah. And then strangle her and like playfully force her to have sex with him you know this kind of role I, play. yeah yeah just to be very clear here i'm just repeating his testimony of what happened in no way do i believe that she wanted to be smacked on the head with a frying pan but let's get to this in a moment that seems an odd yeah let's talk about what he testifies and then we talk about what the investigators think happened okay mm. so he said he slightly hit her on the left side of her head with the frying pan then he strangled her for 30 seconds because he had read online that this was the maximum time that was considered to be safe. He was very careful not to touch her larynx. He said that at first she was still moving, but then she was completely still. At no point had she ever used their agreed upon sign to stop, which was her tapping the bed three times with her flat hand. He was sure that she was just pretending to be unconscious as part of the roleplay. Uh... He then cut or ripped open her nightgown and had intercourse. Afterwards, he realized that she was not just pretending to be unconscious. He pulled her from the bed. He tried to resuscitate her, but failed. Uh, then he tried to have sex with her one more time, which he said was kind of a, a farewell ritual because that's what happens in his favorite book, The English Patient. What? He then dragged her back to bed, covered her with the blankets. He panicked, he got drunk, he texted a friend that something terrible had happened to his girlfriend. Then he got into his car, he drove into a nearby forest with the plan to take his own life, but ultimately failed. Uh, his friend had contacted the police, who found Anya's body in the rental, and they also tracked Michael's mobile phone to the forest, where they arrested him. Wow. So that's what he testified and what happened when the police was already involved. He said it was all a horrible accident, a roleplay gone wrong, and he was devastated by what had happened. But was that the truth? It bothers me. The thing that bothers me the most is like how long she must have been, quote unquote, pretending to be unconscious yeah. for. Like at some point, would you not... Like, hey, you're pretending, right? So yeah. the investigators, the examiners, the prosecution, they didn't think so. 
The examiners found that he had hit her on the head with a frying pan, as he had said, but much, much harder than he had admitted. He strangled her, probably for closer to two minutes, then raped her dead body and sexually assaulted her with the handle of the frying pan, which he kept denying. Oh. The examiner also found a second head wound and several hematoma, but wasn't certain if it was from the attack or from moving her body after hitting her over the head the first time. In Michael's apartment, the police found tons of material, tons of photos and video material of rape and torture porn. I don't even like to call it porn, but for the lack of a better term, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. As well as short stories about doms, so the dominant partner in a SM relationship strangling their subs to death. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of, of having sex with while killing people involved here. Yeah, yeah, no. The prosecution claimed that Anya and Michelle did have a fight that day at the rental, maybe because Anya refused to participate in in some of his fantasies or she set some boundaries or whatever, we will never know. No. Uh, He then hit her over the head, strangled her, raped her. He was charged with the murder of Anya and stood trial in 2009. He was found guilty for murder and desecration. And now, everybody, please hold on to your seats. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison. 10 years. Mm-mm. With subsequent preventative custody until he is cleared by psychiatrists. Wow. I hope mm-hmm. he's never cleared by psychiatrists because... I couldn't even find out if he's still in prison. I know he yeah. one time he was denied, but I really do hope. I don't think it was... A role-play gone wrong, seriously. No, no, I don't think so either. He might not have planned it out like this when they met, but it was definitely... Once it escalated, it's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Wow. The circumstances of this case show how interesting the Beelitz Sanatorium was for many people for all kinds of different reasons. Uh, For goths, for photo shoots... Uh, for example, uh, but the ghost scene was not the only one over the years. I think we can all understand why the sanatorium was so fascinating for many people. It started in the late 1990s, early 2000s. We have this huge, huge abandoned building complex. There are over 60 buildings on 200 hectares. It has ties to Adolf Hitler, the Russian army, Erich Honecker, and a serial killer. Plus, there were lots of sick and dying people housed in the places in a span of almost a century. Of course people would think it's haunted. Yeah. Nowadays, if you Google Beelitz Heilstätten, you will find so many links to forums and stories and blogs claiming that the sanatorium is one of the most haunted or the most haunted place in Germany, nay, Europe. There are threats and threats of people telling, you know, the friend of a friend of their uncle's butcher's sister experienced this and that there mm. late one night. They talk about hearing voices in the buildings calling for their mommy or doors opening and closing by themselves. They take photos and they discuss every shadow they see. They zoom in on the windows and there they see women, nurses, doctors, I don't know, old men, you name it, standing behind those windows looking down on them. Any Are any of those really compelling, or do you think it's mostly just pareidolia, that thing where our brains just see faces? I didn't see one so far. 
I mean, yeah. we talk about it in the end, but so far I didn't see a photo where, like, I mean, it's creepy photos. It's it's a, yeah. it's a creepy old building. Sure. But yeah. I didn't see one. Maybe they exist and I didn't see it. Nope, I hear you. Others say you can still hear the screams of the patients in the surgical wing. Like, they do, they build up this whole thing, how me- people were mistreated there, which they really weren't. No. No, it doesn't sound like they were. It sounded honestly like an absolutely ideal place yeah. to be if you had tuberculosis at this time period. I mean, look, do we know if there were doctors or nurses being not great or horrible? No, we don't. But in general, I'm talking like there were no experiments on... on no. Right. There may have been experimental procedures for tuberculosis, but it's not like they did... Yes, this I said, was a- yeah, this was a sanit- something like that. Right. And I think also it's because I think, you know, these buildings were used for different things. But I think that I think that kind of lore really belongs more with the psychiatric facilities because yeah. people the way people were treated there mm-hmm. was horrific. Or the people exactly. with, yeah. you know, intellectual disabilities. I mean, we've seen you remember there was exposés about it in our lifetime. So that all makes sense, but this not so much. Like, this really does seem like it was a place with very specifically people with tuberculosis. But, you know, of course, you're going to have some, as they would say, good deaths and some very, very hard ones. And that would have been the same, I guess, when it was a hospital, too, for both. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I but think this I, goes for every hospital, though. Yeah, I agree. But I don't think that this kind of myth really belongs at this type of... I think people are confusing their lore. I agree. It's just a big old building, so they're just lumping all treatment facilities in the same. So with all those reports and stories from the ghostly encounters, it really didn't take long for ghost hunters to get interested in the place. And so, you know, groups of paranormal investigators came from time to time, and they came equipped with all their recorders and cameras and whatnot. I have honestly no idea what kind of fancy equipment they use. I guess it's all very very technical and uh, highly electronic. I don't Mm. know. And some reported of voices they heard and recorded and strange feelings and gusts of cold wind in certain spots, causing them goosebumps and, you know, of course, the equipment acting up. I can see several things happening here. Of course, as we said before, these kind of buildings, old hospitals, old asylums, old hotels, have a very weird, mysterious energy. Many different people stayed there, many tragic stories, sudden deaths, and so on. So, of course, sensitive people will feel these things. Yeah, that makes sense, I think. And there's probably also some just confirmation bias, right? Like, if you go into a place and you're thinking it's haunted and that you're going to experience paranormal behavior, then I think you're probably more likely to experience things that you feel are evidence of the paranormal. That doesn't mean there isn't paranormal activity. I think you just have to be very careful if you're truly looking for that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Confirmation bias is the right right phrase. Yeah. You're really spot on, I think, yeah. And also, of course, many Lukilus didn't go there in, you know, bright daylight, bringing picnic baskets and, and balloons and confetti and having a laugh. But they went there at sunset or even at night. And then you're creeping around those old crumbling buildings in the middle of the night with your flashlight 
I know I know people love how I say that. <laughs> um, I'm certain that most people would be kind of creeped out and that every noise would be scary. These buildings are in such a bad condition. Creaks, slams, gusts of cold air are to be expected. I think it would be weirder if there's none of that going on. Right. So you're walking around with your little light and you're feeling some spooky fuckeries going on. Totally expected. Yeah. But I mean, let's be realistic. The noise you just heard, probably just a rat. Or some other animal. Remember, it's surrounded by nature, and I'm sure there are, like, uh, rats and foxes and owls. Oh my. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite, back in the day when I used to watch Ghost Hunter shows more religiously, every time they were in a building like this, they would walk in, and it would be, like, groups of two or three investigators together. And so the two of them would walk in and... (laughs) It used to make me laugh so hard when there'd be, and there was very often a bat waiting for them inside, at least one, and it would fly out and they, because it's pitch black, so they can't see anything. And it's like, something just flew past me, you know, and it's like, is it a ghost? Is it? It's just so funny because some of them are really afraid of bats. So then just watching them freak out was endlessly entertaining for me. I mean, I get it. Rabies, all that. It's it's fair, but... Oh, uh, there also might be something else lurking in those dark corners or in the basements, right? Uh, something or someone. Because chances are that you and your group of lovable weirdos <laughs> are not the only lovable weirdos there at night. Chances are that there are other looky-loos in the building. And isn't it possible that uh, without knowing, you scare each other? <laughs> <laughs> that yeah so that would be funny without naming names i'm now imagining two of the most obnoxious people in televised ghost hunting shows like two of the worst shows everyone has their own image of the who those two groups are in their head but just imagine they've both shown up at the same huge haunted <laughs> sanatorium and all night they're picking up evidence but it's just the other show <laughs> uh that would be so good. I'd I'd watch that. I'd watch that live Halloween special. <laughs> I'd pay for that. Right? And <clears throat> you also shouldn't forget, there are also those kind of people who went there with the sole intention to scare people. <laughs> I don't like those people. I saw interviews with people who work at the Beelitz Heilstätten today. We will circle back to that in a minute. Uh, why people are working there. And it was quite interesting. The guide said that he and his colleagues never encountered any ghosts, but that he knows for a fact of several incidents where people hid in the buildings to scare other nightly visitors. Like one man, for example, he he even dressed up as a ghost, I think. I imagine him with a white sheet. I don't know. (laughs) And he hid in the air vents and whispered, Mommy, Mommy. No. And other similar super creepy things. No, 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 thank you. While people were there, <laughs> were patients there, or is this after? No, afterwards. Like, oh, thank God. Then, then it like, was abandoned. <laughs> I'm like, now I understand why they're haunting the place. All <laughs> right. He called himself the Schleicher von Belitz, so the Belitz creeper, or creep sneaker. He called himself creeper. the creeper. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I love that he gave yeah. himself that own nick- his own nickname. <laughs> his own creepy, pervy nickname. How, like, I wish I'd have so much time to take a white sheet, cut two holes in it for my eyes, and then 
drive to an abandoned sanitarium and scare people there in the middle. I wish. I mean, maybe he couldn't sleep around three o'clock in the morning, just like me very often. And that's yeah. like his nightly activity. Uh, more and more people trespassed over the years. Internet forums and other online paranormal groups made the place really kind of infamous. They shot one episode or like one one yeah one episode of one of the seasons of Germany's Next Top Model there with Heidi Klum. Oh, she's, she's yeah she has Tyra Banks position in yes. Germany's Next Top Model. April and I used to watch the OG Top Model back. That was a thousand years ago now. Yeah, and there is also a movie came out I think 2019 called Heilstetten. Where, again, they kind of made it super creepy and, yeah. And they made it look like Shutter Island. (laughs) Uh, No, it's more like... American Horror Story. Like a horror movie, slasher movie. Yeah. Then the area was sold to new investors. And they planned to build a treetop trail so that visitors can walk around the outside of the buildings and enjoy the beauty of the place. And in 2015, construction for the project finally started. But people continued trespassing. And of course, as always, some people didn't just trespass and look around and left again without disturbing anything, which I still do not condone, you know. But at least it's not as bad as some other people. Yeah. So if you want to sneak in and get a peek, you know, then... Yeah. I mean, it's not great you're trespassing on somebody else's property. And you could really get hurt. At least you're being respectful and not, not ruining things, right? Right, yeah. But other people, while the construction was going on, and you know, of course, heavy machinery was left on, on site at night and during the weekends. And so, for example, one group of people took one of the excavators and drove it through the new gate, destroying the gate. And then afterwards, they climbed out of the excavator and they destroyed the excavator. Whoa. Another group kept destroying the new built fences all over and over and over. And thank God some people are really not criminal masterminds because the police could find some of the vandals via Facebook videos that they posted of the things they had done. And so several (laughs) arrests could be made. Wow. I guess the fact you'd think any of that was a good idea to begin with sort of belies any lack of any damn sense. Wow. Okay. And the police did more. They monitored the area at night. They used uh, thermographic cameras mm. as well as helicopters. And you might say, that's a lot of police work for some trespassers. But some of them caused a damage of over 100,000 euros. So there you yeah. go. It's a lot of money. Also, the investors were really close to abandoning the whole project because all the, the sunk cost. Honestly, right. it would have been a shame, really. But the police work proved to be so successful, over the course of two months, 14 vandals could be charged, 154 people were asked to leave the premises, so they were caught in the act of trespassing. Ah, okay. Over 200 nightly visitors could be identified. Some of them were offering their own illegal ghost tours. Is there a black market for ghost tours? I had never thought about that. But kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. If you really want to go into a place that is off limits. Yeah. You hope they wouldn't hurt anything. But I have a feeling that there is a thriving business. So, as I said, abandoning the treetop trail. Treetop trail. (laughs) trail, That's kind of a thing. (laughs) Uh, So, abandoning that project would have been a shame because the investors did an amazing job. Nowadays, you can not only walk the trail that is 320 meters long or 350 yards 
and it leads you in a height of 23 meters or 75 feet around one of the buildings and they're trying to expand or they're looking into expanding the trail. You can also book guided tours where you can enter several areas of the sanatorium. And also not just during the day, they also offer special tours at night called flashlight tours where you can, for example, tour the old surgical wing. That is cool. I would do that. They also offer special two and a half hour long photo tours where they show you the most photogenic spots in the buildings. Oh, the Instagram tour. Yeah, it's kind of an Instagram (laughs) tour, but it looks beautiful. Uh, Yeah. They also have a more historical tour where they tell you all about the Beelitz Heilstätten and how it was operated. So they do offer a lot. They do conserve the buildings. They are taking care that they are not damaged any further. And they even started to renovate some of the buildings. And I honestly think it's a fantastic project, saving the buildings and still offering the public access to um, experience the very special vibe of the place. Honestly, I'm already thinking of going there and I, I can't even decide which tour I'd like to do. Probably all. I don't know. How far is it from you? Well, you would probably fly to Berlin, which is like an hour. Okay. And then you... Take the train, that's an hour ride. I mean, you can stay in Belitz uh, in one of the hotels, I guess, so. Nice. It sounds like they really have a lot to offer, though. I think you're right. I felt that way when we were at the Hotel del Coronado because there were so many tours. I didn't, we didn't take all the tours that they have to offer. So, yeah. I mean, obviously we're going to have to go back, but I think that's great. And I think having Good quality tours that you can charge for in order to keep the place running is a lot better than people trespassing for access, you know? 100%, yeah. Yeah. And that's not all. Now you can even live at the Belitz Heilstätten. So another investor bought one quarter of the area. You remember I told you they were like divided into four quarters? uh, Yeah. Where patients would be separated by sex and severity of their infection. Mm -hmm. Yep. So one investor bought one of the quarters and... They started to not only renovate the historical buildings and turn them into residential homes, but they also added new buildings, which I'm usually not a big fan of. But from what I saw on photos and in videos, it's really well done. And the additions do integrate really well into the surroundings. This is a description of the project from their webpage, belitzheilstetten.de. Would you like to read it? I can if you want me to. That would be so nice. The Quartier Belitz Heilstatten is being built on the extensive grounds of the historic sanatorium. The project blends carefully into the existing forest landscape on around 64 hectares and is made up of 800 houses and 500 apartments. Whether it's a detached house, a semi-detached house, a terrace house, or condominium, The feeling of being at home doesn't end at your front door, because thanks to new infrastructure, everyday needs will also be taken care of here, with a cafe, bakery, supermarket, and medical center, daycare, and elementary school for the little ones, as well as facilities for assisted living and daycare. New life is also moving into the historic buildings. There will be a restaurant at the train station, and the former boiler house will serve as an event and market hall in the future. The paths and common areas, as well as a new forest lake, are lovingly laid out by landscape architects with plenty of space for adults and children to meet and play outside without a care, because nature is the best playground, end quote. That sounds great. It sounds, and it looks great. Seriously, Mm. I will post photos and links to their promotional video. They do not only 
put apartments in the renovated buildings, they create a whole infrastructure, which they call the creative village. And at first I thought it's just houses for wealthy people. But from what I saw in a video, it's actually a good mix. There's for really wealthy people, but also even affordable apartments for students. The only downside is that it will take you an hour by train to go to Berlin if you mm. work or study there. But I find it lovely, seriously. Also, no, this is not a sponsored <laughs> episode. You should send them an email. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I was just really surprised in a positive way when I found how they revived the whole place. It, I think it's fantastic. I've never, I, I, I really think that they did a fantastic job. That's amazing. My sister Lucy in the UK lived for a while in a development just like that, where there was a mental hospital built in like the late 1840s. And it's this beautiful, creepy building, as you'd imagine. And her like housing development is on the former grounds. And I think they turned the old hospital into flats, but that's a different episode. The asylum, not, not her old house. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I love it when these beautiful historic buildings are saved and repurposed and sort of... I mean, there are some that do a really horrible job. Like, when they, I hate it when they renovate old buildings and then they just, I don't know, th throw like a glass cube on top of it or some bullshit like that, yeah. right? Like, but they did a really beautiful job there. There's a really. house in town that I need to take a picture of at some point for you. It's like half the house is an antique cape. And then sometime in the 70s, I want to say, somebody put an enormous, um, super modern, like, cubist almost edition onto uh -huh. it. And it looks like it's not good. All right. Well, that was fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I want to go to there. Yeah, we should. Yeah. A, lot, a lot going on in the place. And I can see why people get a weird vibe. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. A total of five murders. That's a lot. Yeah. Do you have something good? Do you have anything good this week? My something good this week is that finally my lung seems to be back to normal. Like it took really now since end of December. But I started running on the treadmill again on Sunday because I thought, okay, I, I need to get back into running. And it was okay. Like I was exhausted because I didn't do anything for, for yeah, end of December. But... My lung is feeling so much better. And I think you can hear it in my voice. It's getting back to normal and I feel good again. Good. So that's my something good. <laughs> that's huge. Did I tell you that they, did I tell everyone I had ordered an exercise bike? That was supposed to be my something good this week that I had finally pulled the trigger. We ordered the exercise bike. And I'm really glad that we opted to pay. There's like, you know, basic delivery or you can pay extra for like designated like front porch delivery or yeah. inside a room all the way up to bring it in and, and put it together. And I decided on the bring it in and put it together option just because it's not that Paul can't do it. We're just swamped with little projects that we've been trying to do yeah. around the house. So that's what I opted for. And the guys came in and they got it into the space and they opened up the box and they were like, uh, yeah, this is, this is bad news. It was so damaged. So oh. they had to like tape the box back up again and carry it back out to the truck. <laughs> so now I have to reorder it. When I saw the photo of the taped up box, I thought that's how it was delivered. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I there? should have taken a picture when they were bringing it in. Because it was like parts of the bike were sticking out through oh. the cardboard when it was first brought. Yeah, it, it wasn't good. So I have to call and reschedule that, which I, I will get done. Where are you going to put it? 
in the craft room, in that like mm-hmm. room that's got the, it's kind of a multi-purpose room. It's, it's an extra bedroom and all my craft supplies are stored in there and yeah. It's good. You're going to enjoy it. it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm just, now I have to go through that whole process again. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. All right. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please, please leave us a review if you can. If you are on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe so that you can listen to us every week. We got the loveliest comment on the first Billy Zellstetten episode on YouTube yeah. uh, from somebody who was living in Berlin during the the time when it was divided into East and West and how, how weird the feeling was. And so it was really nice and interesting. Thank you for that. Oh, nice. I'm going to go read that. Yeah. If you want to know how to get a hold of us, you can, of course, always leave a comment or email us at freshhellpodcast at gmail.com. Our website is freshhellpodcast.com, and that is where you will find links to all the different places where you can listen to us, how to get in touch with us, how to leave us a voicemail. You'll also find a link to our merch. And again, uh, you can enter the code BLOODYVALENTINE, all one word, all caps, for 10% off in our merch store. You'll also find information on Patreon. I think that's it. Is that Please it? tell your pets... We said hi. Tell your dogs, your cats, your guinea pigs, your bats, your iguanas, your geckos, your, I don't know, ghosts. Tell your ghosts we said hi. <laughs> tell your ghosts we said hi. Don't tell them we miss them or love them. But yeah, we appreciate them yeah. being around you, not us. <laughs> and uh, be kind to your ghosts. Be also kind to your fellow human beings if they, like, I don't know, look at you weird at the grocery store because you took the last bread or something <laughs> or I don't know. But if they are really, trust your gut feeling. I know you can do that. Also, be kind to yourself because that's the hardest part of it all. It you is. deserve it. It really is. That's true. And if you are going through hell, keep going. Tschüss. Bye. Bye.